Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. It's Dr. Michelle Day with the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness, the Wishwell Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope that you had a moment to check out my solo episode last week. I released it on my birthday, although I did not record it on my birthday. I had a wonderful birthday. Um, I was actually in Boston for an acupuncture hands-on course. Um, I am doing the integrated structural acupuncture course through AcuMed, which is a well-known course. It's been around for a long time. I had a really fun time. It was very overwhelming. I will say that learning Eastern medicine is definitely a whole world of a difference from learning Western medicine. So I had some challenges throughout the week just because my brain thinks very Western medicine. And so, um, it was, it was really challenging for me to think of things in an Eastern medicine type of type of field. But, uh, this course was great just because it is palpation based, um, acupuncture, which is a little bit different than a traditional Chinese acupuncture. I'm super excited to continue learning and improving and, um, just incorporating that into my practice. So I will definitely talk a little bit more about that at some other point. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this week's episode, this week's guest, and I will say, so this week's episode is number 66. It's osteoporosis and bone health with Dr. Arinola Dada. And um, prior to this episode, I was incorporating some more strength workouts, doing some weights, but honestly, I am such a high-intensity cardiovascular type of person. I like my heart rate to be super elevated the whole time I'm doing a workout. And honestly, the only time that I incorporate more of a weight-based training is whenever I teach and practice Ligri Fitness. Um, and so actually after this episode, after, after I recorded this episode a few months ago, I was like, I need to definitely incorporate more weights into my workout. I mean, that's very important for bone health. So I think for many of us women who are used to doing high intense workouts, I think uh, this is a great episode to listen to because she goes through so much about the importance of um, strength training and weight training when it comes to bone health. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to this week's guest, Dr. Erin Oladada. She is a rheumatologist in Bellevue, Washington at Overlake Arthritis and Osteoporosis Center. She says that as a rheumatologist, she works with women who have a higher incidence of autoimmune disease and osteoporosis. So she's very passionate about educating women on the importance of screening and exercise for bone health. Her advice to women is stressing the importance of exercise, weight-bearing activity, and strengthening for bone health. We chat on this week's episode about the different kinds of arthritis and what osteoporosis is. We talk about the risks associated with osteoporosis, such as increased risk of fractures and what we can do to decrease those risks. Take a listen to find out more about this important topic, and you can find out more about Dr. Dada on overlakearthritis.com. I hope you stay tuned for more episodes. Please remember to leave me a reading and review on iTunes if that is your listening platform. And as always, you can check out her full bio or the full bio of all of our guests on the blog, wishwell.health.blog. And um, you can also follow us on Instagram at wishwell.health. Take care. Bye-bye.
everyone. It's Dr. Michelle Dang with the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness podcast, the Wishwell podcast. I am here this morning with Dr. Arinola Dada. She is a rheumatologist out of Seattle, Washington, and she is here to talk about a very interesting topic that we have actually not had on the podcast yet, and she will tell you what that topic is. So welcome, Arinola. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for the kind introduction to you. Um, Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's amazing that you've dedicated your time and energy to this wonderful podcast. And over the last few weeks, I really learned a lot from a number of your podcasts. And I was telling you earlier that my favorite is the one about keep moving. Um, One, you just kind of identify with it. Because if I don't get that workout in in the morning, life happens and it's it's over. Um, But it's also kind of relevant to my talk to, you know, what I'm thinking about in terms of osteoporosis, um, that keeping moving is really the most important thing that we can do to preserve our joints. I and love our, that. And our bone, yeah, and our bones and health. Yes, I love that. So yes, your topic is osteoporosis and bone health, which I think is a very important topic to talk about, especially for me personally. My background is I'm Vietnamese American, and I I feel like and and you can probably tell me a little bit more. In the Asian American or Asian community, osteoporosis is kind of a big, big deal for our um, our ethnic background. Yeah. So there's a, yeah. So the incidence of osteoporosis is higher in um, women of Northern European descent and Asian women, women or Asian American women, kind of compared to, for instance, African American women. So mm-hmm. about twenty um, percent of women um, will have their higher risk um, once they hit menopause um, um, if they're uh, Caucasian or um, Asian American uh, compared to their, uh, for instance, African American counterparts. When the final analysis, um, once we hit menopause as women, we have a higher incidence of having osteoporosis, which is fragile bone. So part of my thought process is getting the word out. We need to take mm-hmm. action and act now. Excellent. And definitely want to get right into that. But before we get into the meat of osteoporosis and all the things, I definitely want you to share a little bit about your journey and your story and how you came to be a rheumatologist and and, and why is osteoporosis such an important topic for you personally and professionally? So I think I've always wanted to be a physician. Um, the truth of the matter is my mom was a physician. So maybe a little bit of just a lack of um, imagination or just totally just adoring my mom. <laughs> what type of so, physician was she? Um, she was a cardiologist. Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm um, back in the day. So she was a cardiologist in Ni- Nigeria. So it was non-interventional. And that means, you know, looking at ultrasounds. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be a cardiologist just like her. And mm-hmm. so I came to the United States and um, through re- in the middle of my first year of residency, I remember this cardiologist uh, who was a very good friend of mine. And he came in and he was happy as a clam. And he was coming to do a procedure on his patient at 2 a.m. And I looked at him aghast. I was like, okay, um, I want to be non-interventional. I want to just do echoes. And he had a good laugh. He said, well, no, the way of cardiology forward is we're going to be doing catheterizations and putting stents. And this is really exciting. And you should want to be a part of this. And I thought, um, no, I will not be <laughs> running around at 2 a.m. Thank you very much. And uh, so way back then, I was really an advocate for self-care. I thought, you know, my sleep is important. I'm okay to be sleep deprived for residency and fellowship, but not lifelong. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'm going to be looking for a different specialty. 
and I had my criteria. They need to at least look happy. <laughs> they need to enjoy what they're doing. <laughs> they need to have a good quality of life. And I roamed around until I was lucky enough to find rheumatology. And I met the best mentors ever. And they just took me by the hand. And for the three years I was in residency, anytime there was a rheumatology case, they would, they would page data. And I would come. So by the time I was done with residency, I'd seen so many rheumatology cases um, mm -hmm. that I was, you know, I was really just excited, motivated. And they wrote me a letter uh, or letters. And I got into University of Washington, um, where I really then kind of delved into what, what autoimmune diseases were about. And uh, there I did some basic science research. I worked with mice. Now, let me be clear. I do not like rodents. Um, but, and the first day I got into the lab, they handed me my mouse and I threw it up in the air. The mouse squealed, I screeched. They had to shut the doors and we spent like an hour looking for the mouse that Dada let loose in the lab. So I we, wish somebody caught that on video. <laughs> so... So, but I, you know, hey, I, 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 uh, I, I was supported um, at the end of that, at the end of the fellowship program, I published the basic science research and I presented it on the world stage. So it kind of told me that, hey, I'm Inola, you can do hard things, right? Um, and then when we, when I, um, I got an opportunity uh, to join a rheumatology practice. And there I'd kind of, I've taken over the years, I had an excellent mentor there and he just took me under his, he taught me everything he knew. And so right now I'm the managing partner of the rheumatology practice. We're in the process of expanding right now. Um, we have an infusion suite and that's also expanding. Um, autoimmune disorders are on the rise. And so, um, and they're just not enough rheumatologists. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are expanding to make sure that we can provide um, excellent care to patients in our community that require our services. So really fast for those of us who are listening who may not exactly know what the field of rheumatology is, I do understand that in this day and age, there's so much talk about autoimmune diseases and disorders and anti-inflammatory diets and that sort of thing. Can you provide maybe a summary in a nutshell of what the field of rheumatology is? So um, the field of rheumatology is a study of autoimmune diseases. Um, a lot of autoimmune diseases um, may manifest with joint problems. So people think about rheumatism, right? So that's rheumatoid arthritis. And so the, an autoimmune disease is a disease where the immune system, um, which is supposed to protect us from enemies, both foreign and domestic. So we think about foreign enemies are infections and domestic enemies are cancerous cells. And so the immune system is supposed to either prevent infections or prevent cancer cells from taking over the body. And in this situation of autoimmune diseases, something has gone terribly wrong where the immune system starts to attack itself. Um, and so rheumatology primarily focuses on that. But in addition, we also treat other conditions that are not necessarily autoimmune. So um, things like gout, where there are crystals in the joints and they manifest with joint swelling, and osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is fragile bones. And one of the major risk factors for osteoporosis 
is one, being a woman, um, just because of hormonal changes. And um, some autoimmune conditions can also put people at risk. In addition, some of the medications that we use put people at risk. So when a woman has an autoimmune disease, it's almost a triple whammy. So one, you're a woman, puts you at increased risk. Two, you have an autoimmune disease that increases your risk. And then three, some of the medications that we may be contemplating um, may also increase risk for osteoporosis. So as a rheumatologist, I think developing a passion on osteoporosis is almost bound to happen because you're always having to watch for that and trying to protect your patients from that or be proactive to make sure that the osteoporosis, fragile bones, and eventually bone fractures can be prevented. Awesome. And so as you're speaking, I have so many questions and it's such a huge topic. So I'd love to kind of delve into a little bit more if we can. I know there's probably not enough time to kind of talk about everything osteoporosis, but really fast, just because I know, like we mentioned autoimmune diseases, people are talking about it a little bit more. I feel like people are a little bit confused in terms of, I know people talk about rheumatoid arthritis and then there's osteoarthritis. So where is osteoporosis in this and what are the differences? I know that it's probably a huge topic, but no, I, can, I can, I can break it down. I can break it down because I do this all day long. I talk to my patients and I explain the same thing. So we start from osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is wear and tear to our joints. So you can imagine if we live long enough, we, every single one of us will develop osteoarthritis. It's wear and tear to the cartilage. The body is not very good at replacing cartilage. So that's why the longer we live, the more likely we will have wear and tear. If you are a soccer player and you got in and you had a knee injury and you injured some cartilage, you will more likely have osteoarthritis sooner than your, for instance, identical twin who did not play soccer and who did not have that knee injury. So you think osteoarthritis, if we live long enough, we're all going to get it. If there's some kind of trauma, then we may have osteoarthritis sooner. So that's osteoarthritis. If we think about rheumatoid arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is one of those autoimmune conditions where I said the immune system is overzealous and uh, it starts to attack different parts of the body. For rheumatoid arthritis, it's attacking the cartilage and it causes inflammation. And rheumatoid arthritis is no respect of age. So we have children that can have, you know, a few months old. Um, that can have rheumatoid arthritis all the way to our geriatric population. So no one is really spared from rheumatoid arthritis. The peak incidence tends to be somewhere in the 20s to 60s, but there is juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So even children can have rheumatoid arthritis. And then osteoporosis is a different entity altogether. It really doesn't involve your immune system. It's just more of a matter of how dense your bones are. So we are genetically programmed to have a certain density of bone. And then other things that we can do um, in life can improve that or take away from that. So whether we're eating enough calcium or whether we're getting enough exercise, all those things can improve your bone density. Um, and so if you say, well, why does anybody lose bone is, well, a lot of it for women is estrogen driven. So once we hit menopause, we start to lose bone density, but we don't all lose it at the same rate. So some people may not lose it as aggressively or as precipitously 
as some others where it just kind of falls off the cliff. And so in our premenopausal years is really when we want to try to build the bone so that it can sustain us when we're postmenopausal. So obviously after menopause. So when you talked about kind of um, taking a look at that premenopausal, so at what age should women start to be more cognizant about that sort of thing? I think the sooner the better, to be honest. Um, and even just being cognizant may mean thinking about just the weight bearing exercise. So even just walking, every little bit helps because during your premenopausal years, so between your 20s to your, so usually what happens is, you know, once we kind of finish college and we start working and most people, people have sedentary jobs now, um, you really kind of have to actively think about some kind of exercise. You don't have to be a runner, but mm -hmm. going for walks and getting that effect of gravity tends to improve the bone density. So between from the age of 20, we really need to start thinking about walking. Um, but every little, if you think, if you're in your 40s and you start thinking about it, I think the earlier we start to do the walking, 30 minutes of walking a day, and that doesn't count when you, you know, get across the walk across the room to get the remote control. So it's actually <laughs> getting up <laughs> and, and doing that additional 30 minutes of walking per day. Well, it's so great. Nowadays, we have those uh, fitness trackers, uh, the watches like the Fitbit or the Garmin, Apple yeah. Watch. So it gives you more motivation. And Definitely. it's so interesting that you talk about it. And I know in the very beginning, you talked about how you loved hearing, um, you know, keep, get moving or keep moving. Yes. Um, so often we think about exercise for our cardiovascular health. I don't think that we normally associate you know, exercise with bone health. So I think it's very important to, to educate everybody or educate the public so that they understand that exercise is important for so many aspects of our health. It is. And I think the good thing about, you know, the bone density is that we can do it just because we walk, right? So, I mean, for those people who have trouble walking, I even say, hey, you can even break it up where, you know, you say 10 minutes and break it up 10 minutes, three times a day, maybe 10 minutes after each meal. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, there is a way that we can tweak it to work for your lifestyle. So when it comes to osteoporosis, what are some, some things that say I was to go see a doctor, when would they start to look at the osteoporosis? Um, so at least by 50 um, women should get, there's a test called a bone density scan. And, um, you know, it's a pretty benign test. You lie on like an, something that looks like an exam table and the scan goes over you. And there's no significant radiation. Um, the person who does the test doesn't have to wear a badge to count. So there's really no radiation exposure that's significant. Um, but more importantly, it looks at the density in the spine and in the hips. Now, so, and people say, well, why don't you just check every single bone? Well, if you break your little pinky, it's really not that significant. Yes, it's painful, but it doesn't impact your quality of life. If we break a vertebrae, so if we break one of the bones in the spine, that's when you can imagine, if you think about the little old lady who's, I'm sorry, little old lady, but little <laughs> old lady who's bent over trying to cross the road and she really can't raise her head up, that's because she's had multiple vertebrae fractures. Um, and people who have hip fractures, you know, you can have people, and that's one of the major things 
you know, I have concerns about is that I've seen patients who were ambulatory, going to hang out with their friends, going for walks, um, you know, uh, you know, going hiking, and they have a hip fracture because it was never identified that they had osteoporosis. Once they have that hip fracture, the quality of life just dramatically de mm -hmm. declines. And so it's just, you know, you think, oh, when, when you're in your 20s, you break a hip, you just drag it along. When you're in your 70s and you break a hip, it is, it is a game changer. And so those are kind of one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about just telling people, hey, let's get this on. It is, it's correctable. We can improve the bone density. We can build more bone. I think to speak to that, I've heard so many stories, patient stories of the decline that they experience. I, my background is chronic pain management. So I've seen so many patients who, after they have a hip fracture, when they're older like that, their quality of life has declined significantly. They're then now they're dealing with chronic pain and yeah. there's just, it's very unfortunate. So definitely important to get the word out and um, speak to people about how it's so important to, to kind of address these issues before it becomes an, a bigger issue. Exactly. And when you talk about uh, vertebral fractures and things like that, the technology nowadays, there's so many things that we can do in chronic pain. I know we can do kyphoplasties and vertebroplasties, yes. which yes. is great, but you know, you don't want to have to already get to that point because yes. as you said, you know, there is a significant decline. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, so we know that um, osteoporosis, you know, can increase the risk of these types of fractures. So you mentioned things you can do before it gets to that point. And one of those things is exercise, but what else can we do, especially in this day and age where everybody's kind of talking about supplements and medications yeah. and things like that? What are some things that, that we can do? So, um, so one of the major things is good sources of calcium, right? So low fat dairy products, green leafy vegetables, canned salmon, believe it or not, sardines, um, soy products such as tofu, and then calcium fortified cereals and orange juice. Um, those are just natural sources if you want to think about that, but we can also just take calcium supplements. Mm -hmm. um, calcium citrate is the best absorbed. Um, the calcium likes to be absorbed in an acidic environment. So calcium citrate is better absorbed than let's say calcium carbonate. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, you know, patients who have kidney stones have to be careful about where they get their calcium from. So just kind of put in that. That's the only time I'm, and so I ask my patients, have you had a history of kidney stones? If you haven't, then I want to make sure that you're taking the calcium supplements as a pill in addition to whatever you're getting from diet. But if you have had a history of kidney stones, then it's better to get your calcium from diet. The body's actually able to process the calcium from diet. So like, the, you know, everything I mentioned about the dairy products, the vegetables, the salmon, uh, cheese, um, the body is able to handle that better in people who are prone to kidney stones than if they are taking the calcium supplements. So that's the only time I would say there's an exception uh, to taking the calcium supplement pills. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really important when, when you were talking about the diet and the medications and the kidney stones, my first thought was my mom, because as we talked about earlier, um, Asians have a higher incidence, Asian women have a higher incidence of osteoporosis. And actually my mom has a history of kidney stones and she had, uh, an old compression fracture that we were not aware of. And she gets her bone scans done and everything. And we know that she is, you know, she has osteoporosis. So I think it's 
it's very, very important. And speaking of the diet, her diet is, does not have a whole, whole lot of calcium. And so I don't know if it's something about, um, Asian women and the diet that we're used to. We just, I guess, don't, don't intake a lot of calcium, but also is there a genetic component to osteoporosis? Oh, definitely. Um, on, on multiple levels. So there's a genetic um, component. So if we think about risk factors, if, um, if there's, so we ask patients, um, any family history of hip fractures or vertebral fractures, that puts a person at a higher risk. So the genetic, genetics will determine what your bone mass is going to be even to start off with. So you know, the genes will determine one, what your bone mass is going to be. And your bone mass at menopause really determines whether or not you, you know, you would be at risk for osteoporosis after menopause. So if you have, imagine you have a, uh, a high bone mass, even if you lose five, 10% of a lot, then you still have a huge bone mass. But if you are kind of teetering at the edge um, and then you lose 5% of that, you can really get into the um, zone where one is at a risk for breaking the bone. Mm-hmm. So genetics play a huge role, but it's not even just genetics. There are things that we are doing inadvertently that doesn't help us, right? So even smoking, you know, we all know smoking is bad. And guess what? It's also bad for the bone density mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, there are medical conditions that can increase one's risk. You know, like I said, a lot of autoimmune diseases can increase the risk, but even um, patients who have problems with absorption. So if one has celiac disease. Um, If you have a problem with absorption and you're not really absorbing the calcium, Mm -hmm. um, then one is prone to osteoporosis too. So once you have the diagnosis of osteoporosis, is there anything that you can do to reverse it? So um, I tell my patients, one, we talked about the calcium intake. Mm -hmm. I live in Seattle and so it's gray most of the time. So most people here are vitamin D deficient. And so a supplement of vitamin D is important. Um, I would say if one is, you know, around that, it has been diagnosed with osteoporosis, one of the things that the physician will do is, you know, check the calcium levels, check the vitamin D levels, you know, make sure the thyroid is not contributing, um, make sure that the kidneys are working well, make sure the parathyroid hormone, which is a hormone that determines where your body throws calcium, whether it's going to absorb it or just it all out. Um, so there's certain things that your doctor would do to kind of make sure that there's nothing contributing to osteoporosis. But once that's taken care of, then we talked about exercise. And the exercise, I like to think about it in two different forms. One is just the boots on the ground, just your feet on the ground doing the walking. Um, and then the other thing then is the strengthening exercises. So if we think about it, the whole point of treating osteoporosis is to prevent a fragility fracture. So to prevent a fracture. So if you think about, oh, if I strengthen my muscles, one, it helps to increase uh, your body mass, which helps you when you're having that foot, that the, the boots on the ground, but it also helps to increase your reflexes. So um, I like to think about, you know, um, my best analogy is you're slipping down the stairs. What are your reflexes like? Are you able to break your fall, catch yourself, hold the banister because your arms are strong and you're able to reflexly hold on or your reflexes are not good and your muscle mass is 
pretty diminished and you just fall down like a bowl of spaghetti or you're able to break your fall, right? So strengthening is also important, um, especially in our arms and upper spine. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. <laughs> so like you mentioned, we all, we all know how important it is to get our steps in, to get that cardiovascular exercise in, but nobody really talks about the strengthening that is also important. And so having that analogy is very helpful, I think, for a lot of people. So I think one of my, I think one other analogy that I, I, I like is this, when we think about something called proprioception, which is, I think I try to explain it to my patients as you're talking to your friend and um, you're walking and the ground is uneven and you reflexly without interrupting the conversation, you reflexly just adjust your footing as you walk. Right. So when you're in your 20s, you're able to do that pretty easily. But when you're in your 70s, you're like grandma slipped on the sidewalk. Well, she slipped because her proprioception is not as good. She is not able to reflexly without thinking, adjust her footing. The stronger our muscles are, the better our proprioception. So the better we can catch ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you trip on something, you catch yourself versus you trip on something when you're the typical 75 year old, she fell on the sidewalk. All the 20 year olds that have been walking on that sidewalk, they didn't trip, they didn't break a bone, they didn't fall. Um, so, and strengthening helps to kind of make sure that that idea of proprioception is maintained. So when we trip, we can catch ourselves. Excellent. Yes. So all the important things that we need to do in order to reduce our risk of osteoporosis, reduce our risk of future fractures, especially in women, exercising, strengthening exercises. Those are all very important topics um, in increasing the calcium intake in our diet um, and just realizing or being aware of our own personal risk factors. Like I mentioned for me, I have that history and Asian. <laughs> so I know I have to be more aware of it. And I think everybody um, should, you know, take that into account in terms of their predisposition and their risks. So Arinola, I know that we can chat about this topic for a very long time, yes, but I, I do want to give you the opportunity. We do have to wrap up. I want to give you the opportunity to share how people can reach you and um, any, any last, last tidbits of advice that you want to share. Okay. Um, so I'll do the last tidbit of advice, um, which is that um, in addition to everything we talked about, you know, um, a person has osteoporosis, there are medications that can treat it. And for whatever reason, medications to treat osteoporosis just have a bad rap. <laughs> so, and, you know, I, and so, you know, I'm going to answer the questions I frequently get asked. One, will it improve my bone density? Yes. Are there risks? Yes, there are risks to taking any medications, but the good news is that we understand what those risks are and we can mitigate them. The bone cells are alive, and so if you use a medication for too long, you may end up with problems. So we typically cap using a particular medication for about seven to 10 years, but it's always best to just ask your doctor. A lot of patients just say, I read this on the internet, it's a horrible medicine, it's gonna break all my bones. Well, it can't be, right? Mm -hmm. And so the bottom line is that the medications are available and they can reduce the risk of a fracture by 50% in three years. That's what the literature shows. Yes, there are side effects and your doctor has to now select based on your own past medical history. So. The bottom line is that osteoporosis is pretty prevalent, but we can take action as women 
and we can improve. We're all living longer now. So we can make sure that we have a great quality of life by doing the simple things, walking 30 minutes a day, making sure we're taking calcium. When we hit 50, make sure we get a bone density test. If we have questions about medication for, for osteoporosis, talk to your doctor and they'll be able to explain everything. So um, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name, uh, my office is um, Overlake Arthritis, and the best way to reach me is at overlakearthritis.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Dada, and really enjoyed this particular topic and hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you so much, Michelle. Have a wonderful day. You too. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. If you've been following me for a while, you'll know how much I love Legree Fitness. It is a high-intense, low-impact workout on a machine called a Megaformer. Did you know that you have the opportunity to purchase a home machine called a Microformer? If you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the Microformer, head on over to LegreeFitness.com. Or if you're ready to purchase a Microformer, go to shopmaximumfitness.com and you can use my coupon code MICHELLEDANGMD to save on your own home fitness machine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness.